So I am watching the Food Network. Okay. And there was a it was a show called the Food Network Challenge. The Food Network Challenge. Yes, and it was a challenge of food stylists. You know what a food stylist is? Uh, somebody who prepares the hair on top of food and makes uh, it all nice and poofy and sort of, okay. sort of. They they style food for for photographs. Oh, food stylist styles food. Yeah, that's weird. Huh. For for food photographs, for yes. menus and for magazines. Ah, yes. And Sprays the, the water on the tomatoes. Right, and, and so that's so, not a euphemism, by the way. That's actually what they do. Exactly. Okay. Uh, and this is this is a time challenge, so they yes. didn't have time to make everything exactly the way they liked it. Okay. And this one woman felt very ru- rushed, and they interviewed her at the end, and they said, "Well, we were very rushed. I didn't have a lot of time, so I couldn't be very perfectionistic." I couldn't be very perfectionistic. I couldn't be very perfectionistic. <laughs> <laughs> so this is now two episodes in a row where you've opened the show with a story about somebody's lack of knowledge when it comes to English. Right. Yeah. Ironicy and perfectionistic. Perfectionistic. I can't even say that. Well, ironicy. Yeah. I have told that story a couple times since the last podcast. And I really got to give the guy credit. I mean, the guy tried. The guy was trying. He, he was he tried a, to say ironic. Right. And he, it's a word that he doesn't, uh, clearly doesn't really know that well. Right. But he wanted to work it into conversation. And for that, I applaud him. This is episode 63. <laughs> this is episode 63 of Fill Me In. This is uh, the 63rd in an ongoing series of, I don't know, I, I'm Brian. I, I ramble on nonsensically. And I'm Ryan. He's drinking orange juice right now, which uh, the food stylist prepared back in the kitchen. Here add at soap bubbles to it. Uh, we did add soap bubbles to your orange juice. Can Looks you like taste them? Poured. Coming up on this episode, we have answers of the week from multiple sources. We have news and a fake interview with the winner of the D Division. And we might actually talk about puzzles. All that. <laughs> All that and soap bubbles. <laughs> Lollapazoola. It's like a month away. It is It is just about a month away. Just about a month. What's today? July 20th. 20th, and it's happening on August 22nd. Which is a Saturday in August. It is. So we, we have uh, another confirmed constructor. So yes. far, we have already announced that we are ha- that we have Mike Knopfnagel. We have, uh, what's his face? Wait, how about his nickname? We have oh, Mike Knopfnagel. Pen pal extraordinary constructor of the Friday puzzle. Yes, we have Peter Gordon, quadruple threat. Yes. And we have Todd McKay. Todd McKay. Whose name is actually Todd McClary. And and now we'd like to add to that list Doug Peterson, crossword gentleman yes. and man about town. He's going to be not only constructing a puzzle, but also attending the Lollapuzzle All the way tournament. from Los Angeles, California. Yes, he is going to be coming. He's going to be one of the uh, crossword constructors of Anaheim, representing yes. Los Angeles, right? Yes. Okay. Uh so that's that's great. So now we have four confirmed constructors. We do, and we're still finalizing the other things that are going to happen. But it's just going to be it's going to be delightful. Also on tap for this, uh, CrossCan is going to be doing a podcast themed uh, trivia game, some kind of a quiz thing about the podcast, about his spreadsheet and stuff like that. So we'll actually find out how many people listen to the podcast. Exactly, because you're going to not be able to win prizes unless you've listened to the podcast. So there's only 63 episodes and an average time of 34 minutes and 12 seconds per episode. That's how much time? Like a day and a half. You could, Just you listen could. to us nonstop for a day and a half, and you get the whole thing taken care of. Or listen to two a day until Lollapazoola. Yeah, I guess that might be easier. I don't know. I think it might be easier to just listen nonstop for a day and a half. Like a Band-Aid? Uh, what, you just 
how is that like a Band-Aid? You just rip it off. I, but I'm saying to listen to stuff. I'm saying like a Band-Aid. For like 32 hours straight, just listen to stuff. Right, like a Band-Aid. I don't know. How, how do you listen to a Band-Aid? Remember Band-Aid? Wasn't Millie Nelson and Band-Aid? Oh, my God. I thought you were talking about like a Band-Aid. No, like I was. A, like I a, was. And then I switched midway. You're just messing with me. Would you open up the thing? View Romeo. Opening it up. All right, we got some viewer mail to talk about. We get here. a lot of viewer mail. We got enough viewer mail. Did we? Yeah. Did we meet our quota? Well, we've overmet our quota a couple of times, so this is okay. This is balancing it out. Our first viewer mail comes to us from David Stein. We met him at the ACPT. He's a teacher. He has a class. He asked him, "Would you rather?" <laughs> you love it when I do. That. I do because I, I, like <laughs> I like that nickname. I like that nickname. This email is titled "Fewer Interviews, More Soup." Dear Ryan and Brian and Ryan. I am driving through the maritime provinces with my family and put on episode 62 on the car radio. I, this, I'm confused already. The first sentence is in the present tense. Like, this is happening now. Like, is this happening now while we're recording? Was this happening when you wrote the email? Is this happening while you're listening to the email? I think it's in the blue perfect. I have a lot of questions here. Uh, all those who answer questions, what tense is this in? Blue perfect. Okay. I am driving through the maritime provinces with my family and put on episode 62 on the car radio. Other than some passing reference, no segment on soup? Viewers have so many options in Crossword Puzzle Podcasts, we come to you for the soup. And in a further outrage, what Brian doesn't know about soup was replaced by an interview that we couldn't hear. My eight-year-old daughter Emma asked whether you were interviewing a hippo. I told her that we couldn't be sure. So, guys, more soup. I am on Grand Manon Island in New Brunswick where they dry seaweed called dulce here, or dulce maybe, as a soup flavor. Brian, do you recommend this? All right, we have a couple of things to discuss. I'm sorry you couldn't hear the interview. You should try listening to it. I think that would, wouldn't, wouldn't that help? Let's put the blame on the listeners, <laughs> on the viewers. That's, that's good. Um, you know what? It's tough. It, it's, it's hard because uh, we don't know what the hell we're doing. So it does make it difficult to provide you with a quality podcast. <laughs> so here's the thing about Dulce. I, I looked this up for you, David, so I could answer a few questions about it. First of all, Dulce, it can be eaten raw. Right off the rocks. I'll bet you didn't know that. You can also dry it, ground it up into flakes, fry it, and make dulce chips. Or you can use it, as you suggest, as a flavoring in soup, also in sandwiches. Here's why I think you should use dulce in soup and sandwiches and other things. It is a great source of dietary requirements. A hundred percent of your daily recommended daily allowance of B6. Your daily? Wait, 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 wait. wait. 66% of your daily recommended daily allowance of B12. <laughs> and it is good a good source of both iron and fluoride. Fluoride. Can you believe it? Fluoride. That's good well, for the, teeth. The new, fluoride. the new Mennonites have great teeth. The new Mennonites? Yes, isn't that where he is? Grand Manon. M-A-N-A-N. Oh, Grand Manon. Maybe that's Grand Manon, if it's French. <laughs> don't you speak French, Ryan? I don't speak French. Are I am sure? learning Italian, though. Are you? Yes. Grand Manon. Uh, La Donna. Yes. That means Donna. <laughs> I've got that much. I can now Excellent. sing all Richie Valens songs in Italian. So our next viewer mail is going to be read by Ryan. Yes. Go. This is from Tyler Hinman. Insert kick-ass nickname here. Missed Achievement, he titles his viewer mail. I was really hoping to be the first one to swear on your podcast. Well, sorry, Tyler. Uh, you know what? Uh, you should have still had that opportunity. However, I was a little sleepy while I was editing last week's episode, and I inadvertently left in some 
naughty language. So, David Stein, since you were listening with your eight-year-old daughter, perhaps just as well you couldn't hear the interview, <laughs> since Brendan Emmett Quigley did, in fact, curse. That was quite a uh, blue hippo. It was a blue hippo. Speaking of hippos, I'd like to move on to our third viewer mail. comes to us from Peter Gordon, Quadruple Threat. Uh, he tells us about a musical Max is a kid's book about a musical hippo. He plays many, many instruments. Well, there you go. There you go. I, you know, I, I looked up Musical Max online. I found a, a cartoon of Musical Max playing a xylophone. And then I guess you can, like, use Musical Max in your classroom to teach kids. One of the questions they suggested asking your classroom was, if a flute could become an animal, what animal would it become? <laughs> that sounds to me like a, like a Barbara Walters question <laughs> on acid or something. Like, if a flute could become an animal? What? What? Well, it would be a snake, wouldn't it? Maybe. I think the point, I think what they want you to suggest is perhaps a bird, because the sound of a flute is similar to the sound of a bird. The sound of a flute is not similar to the sound of a snake. But the bird doesn't look anything like a flute. You know what I think the, the hippo and xylophone connection is? Uh, what? Didn't the Flintstones have a band sometimes? I don't, I don't and know. And I think Did they? one person played the hippo's, a hippo's teeth. Like a xylophone. Oh, really? The hippo would open up his mouth, and they would have... That the... happened on the Flintstones? Maybe it wasn't the Flintstones. Hey, uh, all oracles of questions. Where did that happen? Where, where's was it the... Josie and the Pussycats? Uh, were they a cartoon? Yes. They were? I yes. thought they were a movie. They were a movie that was, was a cartoon. It was a movie that was a cartoon and then became a real live boy? <laughs> I'm confused. <laughs> Somebody um, played the hippo's teeth as a xylophone. Okay. I, okay. Yes. Who did it? Somebody Who? answer Who us this that? question. You have until the end of the episode to call us. Yes, please. Great. Close up the viewer mailbag. We're done. Viewer mail. Closing it up. My snapper was off. Yeah, your voice was also high. Was it? Yeah. Was it on pitch? We're coming up on answers of the week, and this is sort of an extension of viewer mail and ties in, I think, with what we were just discussing, which was looking for answers by the end of the episode. Here we have some there about last week's episode, though. I think I should read. Uh, it's my turn, isn't it? Is why, it don't you, why don't you read that one? This is from uh, Sammy the Dentist. Gentlemen, this week on Atwa, that's A-O-T-W, what, is, what does that stand for? Answers of the Week. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. Uh, How, I, I need to say this. that was unscripted. That, that, just, that actually just happened. Uh, that actually just happened. Wow. All right. So this week on, on AOTW, which he says pronounced Ottawa like Ottawa, but with one less syllable. Okay. Um, the answer to Manhattan Henge. Did we ask the question, Manhattan Henge? <laughs> I don't think we did, but go on and read the answer. Uh, the answer to Manhattan Henge is, did you know if Manhattan, Manhattan Street Grid was designed slash aligned with the ge geographic north slash south headings, Manhattan Henge would occur on the spring-slash-autumn equinoxes. Cold reading is your specialty, isn't it? What? what? I, I'm reading this. It doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. It's not really an answer. It's just an observation. That is true. It is an observation. So, so we should call it Observation of the Week. Utwa. <laughs> uh, thank you, Sammy. Wonderful. Sammy, uh, you are... I'm just going to tell you this bluntly. You're on the verge of being ousted because we have another viewer mail that is uh, called Answers from Not the Oracle. 
And uh, it's, not, it's what, not from not the dentist, though. Answers from off, n- not... Not the oracle. This comes to us from Cross. The two. This comes from Crosscan. Uh, Crosscan has given us five answers. The first one: Yes, you rambled too long about chowder in episode sixty-one. The spreadsheet means I can't fast forward. Have a heart, guys. All right. So, oh, that's so one I answer. think our soup segment this week was much shorter. It was. So, Crosscan, let us know what you think. Although it was longer than last week's. It was longer than last week's, but shorter than the week before. Uh, number two, you interrupted my viewer mail to discuss Jacob Tutu meets the Hooded Fang. It was written by Mordecai Rickler, perhaps Richler. I think it's Richler. Best known as the author of The Apprenticeship of Duddy Kravitz. Like me, Richler was born in Montreal. Wow. Who knew? So in this week's Did You Know, Crosscan was born in Montreal. Uh, answer number three, Papelbaum, as I spell it, does not get on the spreadsheet for random password mentions. We've been through this. <laughs> okay. Now, what about now? What now about, what about an answers from not the now Oracle? I think he will be. Now is Papelbaum mentioned? Is Now does Papelbaum get on the spreadsheet? Because sure now does. we're talking about the guy Papelbaum. Right. And, and also, this is my question. Is there a difference between the actual Jonathan Papelbaum, pitcher for the Boston Red Sox, and... Papelbon the way you spell it. Are these two people or are they one? Number four, my trophy is right next to my Mickey Mouse Fantasia statue, which leads us into number five. I don't know of any hippos with violins, but Fantasia has dancing hippos. It does. Yeah. Yeah. It they does. tutus. They do. They wear tutus. They wear tutus. And they dance. But that's different than playing an instrument. Okay. Just ask Martha Graham. Uh, Martha, if you're out there listening, is uh, is a hippo and a tutu different from playing an instrument? And what type of flute would a hippo and a tutu be? Yeah, if a hippo and a tutu turned into a flute, what type, type of flute, flute would it be? <laughs> Ryan, how many types of flutes can you name? I can name three. Go. An alto flute? Yes. A tenor flute? Yes. And a soprano flute? Okay, only one of those things actually exists. An alto flute. That's true. Well, that's and most of us say alto, not alto. <laughs> I'm pronouncing it's, it. It's not. It's not like the famous like sled dog with the first letter removed. <laughs> it's not. It's not Balto, and so now it's Alto. I'm pronouncing it like cross can spell. <laughs> okay, that's the Canadian way to say Alto flute. Yes. Okay. Alto. 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 I don't know anything about music. What about the saxophone? I can't even. Alto pronu- sax, right? Alto sax. I can't not even alto pronounce sax. musical terms. Alto saxophone. <laughs> <laughs> the alto flute. Uh, All right. Uh, The next answer, Atwa, Answers of the Week, comes from Jeremy Horwitz. Jeremy Horwitz was, of course, uh, the winner of the D division at the 2009 American Cross. We asked him last week what we... We kind of posed our side of what would have been an interview with him. we didn't interview him. We didn't interview him. Because we didn't know who he was. Well, also because the D division winner was not, like, an announced thing until right. it was too late to do interviews. And when, when he... It was announced at the, at, the, at, the, right. at the banquet, but by then we were kind of done with the interviewing. All right. So, here we go. How did you feel... Are we, for, are we doing this as a script, or are you just going to read the whole thing? Oh, well, who's doing who? I don't know. Who do you want to play? You do the interviewing. I'm the interviewing, and so you're playing the part of... Okay, in this uh, email, I will be playing the part of Ryan asking questions, and Ryan will be playing the part of Jeremy Horowitz. Who's Amanda? And Amanda will be playing the part of the dulce flakes (laughs) being used to flavor soup. 
No. <laughs> it was thought, that bad choice. Thought, and Amanda will be playing the part of Mike Nothnagel. When you said Dulce Flakes, and I thought... And Amanda will be playing the part of the clock on the wall. I'm just going to keep saying different things. When you said, when you said Dulce you Flakes, yeah. I thought... I was in my mind, I think, is he still trying to mispronounce the word flute? <laughs> is there such a thing as a Dulce Flakes? And flute? Amanda will be playing the alto flute. All right. The alto flute. The alto flute. Uh, okay, so I, I have to be Ryan. Wait a minute. Let me get into character. Uh, um, uh, if you were male... <laughs> I don't know what any of that meant. <laughs> All right, uh, Jeremy. <laughs> yes, yes, how did, Ryan. How did oh, you, you were so handsome today. Uh, do you want to hear me play the alto flute? <laughs> how did you feel right after you won the D division? Well, right after, pretty happy. After the pretty happy feeling died down a bit, I went straight on to worrying if I could take the trophy on the plane as a carry-on, and then I just went back to being tired. Even after being in New York City for several days, my body was basically on West Coast time. <laughs> and that rattling noise you hear is part of Jeremy Horwitz's voice. That's why we've added that effect. It's certainly not Ryan shaking a random prop too close to the microphone. Uh, so, Jeremy, where is your trophy? I'll, I'll tell you. It shares a shelf... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I dropped my baton. Uh, where's your trophy, you ask? Where's my trophy, you ask? <laughs> it shares a shelf at home with a framed autograph photo of Chuck Woolery, a medal of 33 degrees Mason Albert Pike, Mount Rushmore is on the reverse. <laughs> oh, what did I just say? Oh, my God, I don't know what I just said. Oh, an empty, I never know what you say. An empty bottle of Don Perignon, and a giant Homer Simpson Pez dispenser, and a Fez Fez. <laughs> what? I feel what like is a Fez Fez? A, if, well, I think it's a Fez from Fez. A Fez is a Fez. What no, do you but mean? I think a Fez, fez is, is a place? I think Fez is a place. Where they wear the Fez? I think so. And so it's a Fez Fez. What is a medal of 33 degrees at Mason Albert Pike? That's our second question to you. What, right. what did you do to win this medal? This interview has only has not answered really questions. It has just it has made more questions. Made more questions oh, arise. Man. I'm very confused. So am I. Why don't we move ahead into our next segment? The contest. It is the, so. We had a contest two weeks ago that was from Jeremy Horowitz. It was. was design a crossword grid that has the most words that you can possibly do. And last week we only had received like two submissions. So we asked, we, we extended the contest a week, yes. and we got more submissions. We now are proud to announce... Very proud. Very, I, I am beaming with pride as I announce a tie. We have a two-place two two tie, a two-person tie. <laughs> two-place tie. We have a two-place tie. One of you will be going home with an alto flute, <laughs> and the other of you is going home with Ryan. Uh, a 33-degree Mason <laughs> Albert Pike. So we have two winners. Uh, one of our winners is Neville Fogarty, Squishy Defeated. And the other is Peter Gordon, Quadruple Threat. Indeed. They both sent us grids of 96 words. 96 words. 96. Now, we got a number of submissions that were in the 90, 92 range. Um, and then I think we got 194. Uh, both of you, though, came up with 96-word answers. So both of you are victorious. Yes. Oh, and by the way, I'm totally behind in sending it. I, I owe... <coughs> 
uh, cross can a prize, yes. and I owe somebody else a prize. Who's the somebody else? I don't remember. All right, you have to figure that out because this is really getting disgusting. Yeah, I don't know. If and it's now you owe Peter Gordon and Neville Fogarty prizes, so you got to figure out what they win. I don't know if it's getting disgusting. It's getting just horrible. Peter it's and horrible. Neville, what do you want as prizes? Tell us, and it shall be yours, unless it requires Ryan going to the post office. I, I, will, I will send out the two prizes I owe people this week. Excellent. We look forward to it. We have a new contest we're posing to you all this week. All right. This contest comes to us from Peter Gordon, Quadruple Threat. I think this one's difficult. I think they're all difficult. I think this one is particularly difficult. Take an eight-letter, two-word phrase that means eats and that contains an E. Write it in all capital letters with no space and without the E. What's left is a seven-letter string of letters that, if turned upside down, remains unchanged. What's the phrase? So you have an eight-letter, two-word phrase that means eats. Correct. And that contains an E. Yes. Somewhere in that two words, somewhere one of those eight letters is an E. So then you're going to take a piece of paper and a pencil. Yeah. And you're going to write it in all capital letters. Yes. Neat block letters. Sans serif or serif? Uh, sans. And I, I've always said serif. Serif, <laughs> not 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 Sarif. Are you sure it's not Sarif? I think Omar Sarif was a, an actor in movies, right? I always thought it was Sarif. I always thought it was Serif. Really? Hey, Oracle of the day, is it Serif or Sarif? What about a Serif flute? <laughs> I don't know what that is. All right, go on. So you're writing in San Sarif Sarif letters, <laughs> and you're, you're writing this eight. This eight-letter, two-word phrase, it means heat, that contains an E. You're yep. writing in all capital letters with no space right. and without the E. Right. What's, well, then you have, you, so then you have seven letters. Correct. You have seven a letters. string of seven letters. It looks like a seven-letter word, but it isn't actually a word. Right. It's just a string of seven letters. And then if you flip it upside down, it looks exactly the same. Correct. It has rotational symmetry, you might say. You, you just did say it. I did. Uh, and so send us that phrase. Excellent. That's the contest. Send us the actual, the, the two-word phrase that means eat. No. Yes. yes. Send yes. us the phrase. Yeah, what's the phrase? What's the phrase? What do we do next? Uh, next is uh, a new segment. Well, it's sort of a new segment. It's sort of the premise that this is a crossword podcast, and so maybe we should talk about puzzle-related things. All right. What do you think? That's a good premise. Seems ridiculous, doesn't it? A little bit insane. First of all, I'd like to call out that uh, July 2009, the July 2009 issue of Games Magazine, features a 25 by 25 puzzle by Mike Nofnagel, pen pal extraordinaire and constructor of the Friday puzzle. This is called the world's most ornery crossword. People are Have you ever sure. done it? It's a regular feature yes. in Games Magazine. They provide you with a set of hard clues and a set of easy clues, and you can you fold the page over right. so you can't see the easy clues. <clears throat> so I, anyway, Mike, it's so far it's good. I'm not done with it yet. I've been doing it on the subway on my way to work, and I'm not finished, but it's a good puzzle. You're not finished on your way to work? I'm not finished with the puzzle. There are some intersecting, like, 25-letter entries in this. Really? Room. Yeah, very cool. <laughs> um, also, why don't we talk about there, the National Puzzlers League email list has an ongoing discussion. It's still going on. I'm probably getting emails as we speak. That has to do with the uh, the, the validity of crossword symmetry. Do okay. You, do you subscribe to the no. NPL list? So there's somebody saw uh, uh, the in-flight magazine on an airplane and thought the puzzle was just horribly designed. It had unchecked letters. It wasn't symmetrical. And so this, you know sparked a discussion about it, and people started talking about the rules of crossword design. Right. And specifically the rule of symmetry, of rotational symmetry, which apparently started a thousand years ago when Margaret 
Farrar. Farrar? Farrar? Sarif? Alto. Margaret Alto Sarif Farrar. <laughs> Uh, former editor of the New York Times crossword puzzle. The first editor. The first York. editor of the New York Times crossword said that she made the, the crossword grids rotationally symmetrical because it looked prettier. Mm-hmm. It was aesthetically pleasing. Mm-hmm. Now, now that's like a rule. Now, if you if your grid is not rotationally symmetric, you're, you're breaking the rule. You mm-hmm. better have a damn good reason why you're not doing it. Like, it has to be like Joe Krozel's lies puzzle mm-hmm. or, or Joe Krozel's, you know, broken heart puzzle. Mm-hmm. Or Joe Krozel's compass puzzle. <laughs> Joe Krozel really does it a lot. <laughs> Joe Krozel loves breaking this rule. Um, but now some people say you break a rule because for a good reason. Like you have to understand the rule and then you can break it. Right. What do you think about that? I think the rule is good. Why? And I'll tell you why. Tell me why. Because it creates a kind of a standard. Yes. Because you, if you've ever gone into onto a site with somebody who's just making his own puzzles, yes, I've gone into a couple of yeah. sites. Well, sometimes and, they're just sort of like random linked words, and right? No... And it's not, it's not, it's not pleasing to the eye, no. and it doesn't seem like it would be a fun solve, and it's not a fun solve. And I think keeping the having this standard creates. So, do you think the puzzle is more fun to solve because it's symmetrical? I think. Something that is pleasing to the eye, I think unconsciously or subconsciously, subconsciously, because I'm awake when I do these, usually, (laughs) subconsciously, I think it's just more enjoyable. I think that's why when you have a puzzle like this last Saturday's by Joe Crozer, where I'm the puzzle, that had the four big blocks of open spaces, that is pleasing to the eye. You you like the geometry of it. You like the geometry of it. I think it's... I, I geometry? Is that the right term? I don't know if that's the Maybe right term. Maybe not. Maybe you like the trigonometry of it. Maybe. That's definitely not the right no. term. Uh, but having having uh, having something that's pleasing to the eye, I think, is, is makes you want to solve it and helps you solve it in a better way. Well, but I mean, this is a but this is a legitimate argument. You, you, I know you kind of like trailed off there at the end into nonsense, which is what you do when you're left alone to talk for too long in one stretch. You shouldn't have left but, the room. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm mean, here with Randy. I know, I know, but I, I had to go to work, and <laughs> now I'm back. Um, short show. Yeah, very, very short. Uh, I, I don't know the, the the idea that it's a rule. I don't know. It made me think of some rules in music. Like there are rules, alleged rules of music theory that. That you say, you know, you're not supposed to, like, write in parallel fourths or things like that. If you're a musician, you know what I'm talking about. If you're Ryan, you have no clue. But uh, some of those rules, though, the rules of music like that are are rooted in uh, what's pleasing to the ear, I suppose. So it's kind of similar in this regard to what's pleasing to the eye, do you think? Well, let me ask you this. Okay. You've, you've composed music. Yes. I break the rules sometimes. But, but, but wait, 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 wait. Okay. You... By, when you learned how to read music and how to re- compose music, you learned these rules. Yes. Then now you sometimes you break the rules. Yes. But if you went to compose music and you didn't know any of the rules, yes. Do you think you that your compositions would be as good, even the ones that you that you break, even when you break? No, the I don't rules. think they would be as good. I think, but I think. I think it's understanding the rules, and I think it's more than just follow them or break them once you've learned what they are. You. I think understand why why they are effective, why they are rules. In music, I understand, because I know when I'm listening to it, what it sounds like when I break that rule, and I think, oh, well, that's why I don't like that. 
or that's why I do like it in a specific right. situation. Does that work visually with puzzles? Do I, I look it, at a at a rotationally symmetrical grid and say, ah, well, this is why I like rotational symmetry because it looks pretty, or because it makes for a more fun solve or something? I I think it's basically the same thing. I think, but here's what's different, though. I may, I don't know what my point is, but here's what's different. I break those rules in music because I'm trying to generate the sound that I can recognize. In a crossword puzzle, I don't break the rules to generate a less pleasing puzzle. So it's not that I'm choosing to go against what you like or what makes a fun solve. I might choose to break that tradition because I want my puzzle to look like a heart or because I might want my puzzle to say lies in the middle of it or because but it's because Halloween and I'm dressed up as Joe Crozel. <laughs> You have a Joe Crozel mask? I, I do. I have a Joe Crozel mask. But you mask. break the rules in the music because you say, well... Because I want it to sound what cer- seems wrong. I want it to have that sound. But you want it to have that sound, right. but it, you, you feel that the people listening to the music will enjoy that more, correct? Well, maybe not enjoy it, but be affected by it in my intended way. Right. So that is similar to the puzzles. Right. Joe Crozel wants to affect people in the intended way. Right. Okay. Joe Crozel, intended effector. <laughs> Wait, which is better, to be an intended effector or an attended infector? Ooh. Yeah. I think, How about that? I think this first one is better. Yeah. I, so, I think the rules are important. The rules are. And I think breaking them and breaking them for a reason and, ha- and knowing that you're breaking them and knowing why you're breaking them is important and it makes for better puzzles. Okay. All right, well, that seems fair enough. That's my opinion. Uh, the last thing I want to draw our attention to is this. Uh, today, is, well, July 20th, is the 40th anniversary of Apollo 11 landing on the moon. And in honor of that, uh, there's a, a group of people at PuzzleAbility, and who is it? Mike Shank, Amy Goldstein, and Robert Layton have designed this set of puzzles. It's like maybe eight different puzzles, and then there's secret codes in all of them that add up to one final puzzle, and it's all in honor of that. Uh, Apollo 11 thing, and it's very cool. It's very, very fun. It looks cool. I'm looking at it now. Yeah, and you can find it online. It's a fleet of PDFs available, and the site is long to read off, but if you Google Apollo 11 Shank Puzzle, I found those four words. Shank, S-H-E-N-K. Apollo 11 Shank Puzzle. Uh, It's the first thing that pops up. effect was <laughs> we didn't pick it yet was so um it reminded me it of, reminded me too it reminded <laughs> it reminded me of a large vat of jello that had three oxen running around in concentric circles concentric concentric circles, circles. wow because it reminded me of the alto flute to tell you the truth <laughs> did it yeah wow i think they might sound alike <laughs> Monday! Wait a minute. Yes, you're first. Monday! July 13th by C.W. Stewart. All in all, I found this puzzle to be all right. We don't even pretend that this segment isn't scripted, do we? No, it was all right, this puzzle. Tuesday, oh. Tuesday, July 14th by (laughs) Donna S. Levin. What, What are you doing? In honor of Bastille Day, the 14th line of this puzzle read, Coach Oreo Salve. Have you ever used Oreo salve? And if so, how? I thought it's salve. Have you ever used Oreo salve? And if so, how? <laughs> I don't need to call you out in pronunciation. Uh, it's part of my... Wait, what was the question? Should we just start this whole thing over <laughs> No, it's good. Uh, 
I don't it's, remember. It's part of my steroid regimen. I is? use it like the cream, uh, the Oreo sack. Oh, okay. I use it like the cream in the clear. Wednesday, June 15th by June Pock. Square in Discord. Fast food may be taken out. Hey, when are you taking me to Jollibee's? Right after you get some balls and call Christina Applegate. I'm getting them. I'm getting them. Thursday, July 16th by Elizabeth C. Gorski, amateur constructor. Gavel was in this puzzle. You think Vic Fleming had anything to do with it? I don't trust Vic Fleming. He claims to walk his dog, but he never answers our contest. What? No, seriously. What? Why doesn't he answer? What? I don't know. That's very bizarre. Applebon. Friday, July 17th, by Barry C. Silk, friend and confidant of Doug Peterson, crossword gentleman, a man about town, and Doug Peterson, crossword gentleman, a man about town. Did you purposely script this so I would have to say all the nicknames? Yes. Saturday, July 18th, by Joe Crozel, rhymes with puzzle. Saturday was my second wedding anniversary, so a shout-out to my wife, who has never listened to a single episode of this show. She doesn't listen to the show? No. Does she do the puzzles? No. And you've lasted two years? I know. Which is less likely, that I'd last two years or that Vic Fleming even has a dog? Touche! Sunday, July 19th, by Lynn Lempel. You are there. Did you use, do you use the letters you are instead of the words you are, like in text messages? No, I don't. Do you read scripts like they're English? <laughs> it was very confusing. <laughs> it's I, not confusing. It's an no, English sentence. I thought Lynn Lempel, you are. I thought that was her title, like uh, Lynn Lempel, M.D.? No. Or Hawthorne? No. R.N.? What? Hawthorne. I hate that. I hate that the R.N. <laughs> is in that. the word That's Hawthorne. why I brought it up. I can't stand that. I think that is just horrible. Do you think they came up with that? I think they her? chose the name Hawthorne because it has RN in it. I think they must have. I think they must oh. have. I also hate show titles that that have a person's name in them where the name is also a word, like Saving Grace. What about House? No, no, no. You like House? I do because it's not a pun. It's not a pun. Saving Grace is a pun. The lead character's name is Grace. But Saving Grace is like a thing you do. You save it. Well, doesn't House live in a house? Well, yeah, That's but it's funny. still not. No, it's not. It's not a pun. It's not a pun. What's another one that has uh, that, that, that uses the name of a person? Can you think of another one? Hope and Faith. Hope and Faith. Oh, my God. And that bad for plenty of other reasons, too. Is that even on? No, it was. Was it ever?